0: Exodus chapter 20 Exodus chapter 20 we're going to be looking at verse 12 today Relationship of believers towards God, first four commandments, relationship of believers towards one another, the last six, and as you look at this commandment, obviously this is directed to children, and uh, it's not that there isn't a relationship to the Lord, this is His commandment, and there's a promise that comes along with it. So the context, remember, of this commandment, the context of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the Lord is speaking. He's speaking from the mountaintop. According to the Scriptures, verse 18, there's thunder, lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. The people are trembling and hearing these words. These words are given from the very mouth of God. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. There's two parts to this commandment, two parts to this word. It is a command, but there's also a promise. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. It's the first commandment with a promise. And what is the word that's used, the verb that's used in the command? It's honor, which is a much broader idea than mere obedience. The command is, of course, given to children, honor your father and mother. Scripturally, it's evident, very evident, that this command is for children and teenagers, but even adult children as they relate to their parents honor your father and your mother doesn't change entirely when you become an adult does change some particularly if someone were to go out establish a home of their own whether through marriage or through independence because the person has entered into adulthood And so this is certainly for parents to cultivate within their children, but also for parents to model and obey themselves. Notice the commandment specifies father and mother. It's not father or mother. It's mother and father. Some would see an emphasis on authority because the father is mentioned first there's another command in the law in Leviticus which mentions the mother first and so while you could make something of that in this passage it's not to say that the other isn't true as well they're both worthy of honor they both have authority within the home This command, and this relates to the first point, major point I'd like to make this morning, demonstrates that God recognizes parents as the highest and most essential authority after himself. The home is foundational to society. Now, I'm not saying that government doesn't have authority. I'm saying that this is an authority that God recognizes As critical, as essential, as important, as foundational to a society. And of course, there's a promise of blessing. It says that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. And there's a statement of God's grace there at the end, reminder that God is bringing them into a good land. Later, he says this is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. This is something that he grants them as a grace, and for them to then receive that and spend a long life there, this command, obedience to this command, is essential. Now we would also say, not just based on this passage as it's implied, but another passage as it's explicit, that the commandment, while it comes with a promise of blessing for obedience, there is an implication of a curse for disobedience. And that's made explicit, especially in Deuteronomy, as it says, Cursed is everyone who dishonors father and mother. And so when we look at this commandment that God has given to the nation of Israel, and then for the church, this command is repeated in the book of Ephesians. It's implied as well in the book of Colossians. This is not just Old Testament law for the nation of Israel, it's the New Testament instruction for life for those who belong to God. And so the first point I'd like to make this morning based on this verse is that God's fifth word establishes the importance of the family as foundational in the life of the nation. He's already referenced idolatry. He's referenced the importance of worshiping him alone He's threatened judgment upon those who would disobey such commands. He has highlighted the significance and importance of his name, not taking it in vain. He has called them to remember that established day of worship, Sabbath day, by implication the other Sabbath days in their calendar. But now there's an emphasis on the institution of the family And of course, Israel is a family. It's a nation of families. It's a family that began and spread out. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and he had 12 sons, 12 tribes, grandsons. We could look through all those details. Joseph's sons became tribal names. But the point is, we have a family. We have a nation that is a family, But as that family multiplied and those sons and daughters were married, then you have families being established and they then become foundational to that society. And of course, God's order for a family is what? It is father and mother and children. As God gives children to a man and a woman who are in covenant together in marriage and that family is established, that is God's order. This commandment references the same order of Genesis 2 where a man leaves his father and mother, cleaves to his wife, and then as the Lord gives children, then this command, of course, is to be applied. Abraham... Before this command ever was given, the Lord spoke of him. He said, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And that statement by the Lord regarding Abraham and his descendants, there was an expectation that the next generation would then follow. And of course, for Isaac, it did. Isaac knew the Lord. He trusted the Lord. It doesn't seem that Esau came to know the Lord, although he certainly knew of the Lord. But Jacob came to know the Lord, had revelation from the Lord, whether it was the dream there at Bethel or beyond that in his life, God had communicated with him, communicated his truth to him, his ways to him, and it was Jacob's responsibility as father to then train his children in the ways of the Lord. And so this nation that is now being formed in an official way through covenant with God as he kept the promise to the fathers is now given this instruction that they are to honor their father and their mother that they're to receive that teaching and instruction and beyond that they were to give proper esteem to those who came before them how important is this of course, it's very important to the life of the nation. The, the Messiah is going to come from this nation. And insofar as they failed to keep the ways of the Lord, God corrected them. And to a certain extent, you have to say over the course of time in the Old Testament, obedience to this command, obedience to, to promote, to teach the word of God, was essential to make sure that this nation was what it ought to be in God's eyes so that the Messiah would be recognizable. If this nation, the people within this nation, just assumed all of the cultural customs of other nations and became just like them, they would have not been even discernible. They would have been lost in history as just another one of the peoples. But, of course, God had a plan, and it was critical that the parents teach the children you see that in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that they give instruction in the word of God and so it was critical for the life of this nation but I would say it's critical for the life of every nation certainly critical within the church as Paul gives the commandment in Ephesians 6 children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth one writer said we need to recover the belief that god's purpose for and instruction of the family is a vital aspect of life in this world we need to affirm in our generation that god created the family as an important element in the outworking of his eternal purpose first god created the family to give structure and order to the human beings that he made in his image second the family provides the essential labor of teaching and preparation of children for churches, communities, cultures, and nations. Third, God created the family in order to pass the gospel on from one generation to the next. And finally, God designed the family to be a living demonstration of various aspects of the glory of the gospel, an embodiment of biblical truths. This is why God has ordained that the family is the fountainhead of culture. It's the first place on earth that culture is made and is formational for all other cultures. And that comes from a book that's a very helpful collection of writings from the Puritans and other reformers on the subject of the Christian family. Would you say that the family is under attack? I believe we have seen a very direct attack on the very definition of what a family is in the life of our nation. We have seen our country either legislate or courts decide on a concept of family that's contrary to the natural order that God has set up. The idea of same-sex marriage is obviously contrary to God's order and His word. It is anti-God in its stance, as is homosexuality. This commandment properly recognizes as foundational to a home a father and a mother, a male and a female, covenanted together in marriage. Now God can take, of course he does at times take one of the parents. Sometimes he takes both. We don't all know all that God is doing in his secret will as he unfolds his plan in the lives of people. But this is the pattern. This is the standard. Male and female covenanted together in marriage who then have children. And as they have children, those children are to honor their father and their mother. And those parents are to bring up those children in the fear of the Lord which is the beginning of wisdom. That's God's standard. So I'm just saying, in this commandment, we have an establishing, you could say a further establishing, because we've already seen it in Scripture, of the importance of family as foundational to the life of a nation. Beyond that, God's fifth word teaches that children must express or show proper esteem or high regard for their father and their mother that's the idea of the word honor it has a attitude aspect but there's also an action aspect to this many actions we would say what does it mean to honor the hebrew word the verb that's used here literally means to give proper weight to something or someone or to hold in high esteem. It demands that internal attitude, an external expression of it in some way. The New Testament equivalent is the word Tima'o. Timothy is a related uh, name meaning to honor God. It means to show high regard for or to set a price on. It's another meaning for that word. So it's a word that relates to how highly I value something or someone. And you can give a few illustrations from the scriptures and understand the sense of this word. Remember how the king desired to honor Mordecai? But he didn't tell Haman who he was going to honor. He just asked, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor And Haman, of course, is thinking, I'm the person he wants to honor, so I'm going to devise something that he can do to honor me. And he suggested the royal robe and the horse on which the king rides and the crown on his head and the chariot or the uh, leading of the horse through the city square and the proclaiming of honor upon him through the streets of the city. And Haman thought that was all for him, but it was for Mordecai. The king wanted to honor Mordecai because Mordecai had uncovered a plot that saved the king's life. And so he, was, he had an esteem for Mordecai because of what he had done, and now he wants to express that and show that by some course of action. And Haman suggested the course of action, much to his eventual dismay. When it comes to the Lord and how we honor the Lord, Psalm 50 verse 23 says whoever offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. Thanksgiving is the action, it's the thankfulness in the heart that leads to that and when you express thanks to the Lord that honors him. Proverbs 3, nine: honor the Lord from your wealth. If you honor the Lord you have that high regard from the Lord then what he gives to you belongs to him and as the Proverbs says, it says, From the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. It was a promise within Old Testament Israel. If you honored the Lord, he would bless you. And it is possible to have that outer action without the inner attitude. You can honor someone outwardly, but not have that as a principle in your heart. What did the Lord say in Isaiah Because this people draws near to me with their words and honors me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. And there's a synonym, reverence. But what were the children of Israel doing? What were they doing in the days of the New Testament that Jesus called them out for? It was outward obedience or outward show, but the inner attitude was not there. The opposite of this word, which is the Hebrew word kalau, means to make light of, or to account something as mean or vile or worthless. The children of Israel at one point in Numbers chapter 21 grumbled against the Lord, sort of like what we saw in the last two chapters there in Exodus. They spoke against God and Moses, Numbers 21 verse 5 says, why have you brought up? us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness for there is no food and no water we loathe this miserable food and it's the word miserable wretched contemptible the manna that God was providing miraculously after decades they got tired of it and they thought it was miserable and wretched and worthless they didn't want it anymore and they told Moses so just a wicked grumbling as God was providing for them, and they were not thankful. So that word means to lightly esteem. Ezekiel 22 and verse 7, in a judgment against the city of Jerusalem, he says of the city that they had treated father and mother lightly within you. It gives the opposite of regarding something to be important, weighty. They have treated father and mother, lightly within you. That was a charge of sin against the city. They thought little of what their father and mother said. They thought little of their persons. So just based upon the meaning of the word, and when we think of father and mother, parents that God has given you, I'm going to ask children... And I know I'm looking at some. I know there's some on Zoom this morning. Do you have high regard for your father and your mother? I'm going to go beyond that because the commandment goes beyond that because it says honor your father and mother, and it doesn't give a qualification. I'm looking at children in terms of age, but I'm looking at children. All of us are children. And so, do you have a high regard for your father or your mother? Or do you instead hold them in your attitude in contempt? Do you think much of them or little of them? And I think one of the tests is do you think much of what they say to you or little of what they say to you? How important is that? What do you do when they give you instruction, when they give you guidance? Do you follow it? Do you disregard it? I want to ask you to turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 2 for a moment. Given an illustration of a family in Israel, a very visible one at the tabernacle, I want you to notice the sons of Eli in verse 12. It says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They were men of Belial is the word that's used. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. If the man said to him, consistent with the law, they must surely burn the fat first, and then you take as much as you desire. Then he would say, no, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men thought little, or they despised the offering of the Lord. Okay, So you've got sin taking place in spiritual leadership in Israel. These are the priests, they're the sons of Eli, And they're making a mockery of the sacrificial system. And they're using it to their own desires. Samuel, of course, is a part of that situation where he's mentioned there in verses 18 down through verse 21. Look at verse 22. What else is going on? Now Eli was very old and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. That's immorality, adultery, right there in addition to what else they were doing. Verse 23, he said to them, "'Why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? "'No, my sons, for the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating. "'If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him, "'but if a man sins against the Lord,' Who can intercede for him? Notice this, verse 25. But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Now, why did the Lord desire to put them to death? Because of the sins taking place earlier in the chapter. But that also was a sin. They would not listen to the voice of their father. And Eli sinned in that he didn't deal with this. And there's a use of this word honor In this chapter, as the Lord rebukes Eli through a man of God, who comes to him and says to him, look at verse 27, Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father, all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people, Israel? What is Eli doing? Well, he's not fully dealing with the problem. He's showing that he has higher regard for his sons than he does for God. And what's God's response to that? Look at verse 30. Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk me before me forever, but now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. And there you see... The terms that are used, and hopefully, some light on the sense of this idea of honor. These sons were not honoring their father. Their father was not honoring God. Instead, he was honoring his sons, and God said, I'm not going to honor you if you don't honor me. There's judgment coming if you do not honor me. Now, how did the sons get to that place? Well, if Eli's actions here are typical, he has words that didn't follow with any kind of enforcement. He had words that were right, but he didn't discipline. He did not act. And as a result, there was a pattern of sin that developed in the life of these young men, and the result of this was in their adulthood, they despised their father, and God eventually had to take their lives. Now, parents, you can't ultimately control your children. They have a will of their own. But you can call for them to honor you. And you can tell them, son, daughter, you need to honor me. And by honoring me, you honor the Lord. And if you do not honor me, it's not going to go well with you. That's, of course, a reference to the promise that comes along with the command. And, of course, we would say that honor includes obedience. It's much broader than obedience, but it includes obedience. Obedience is submission to the will of another. Proper obedience to authority would be to follow commands completely, borrowing some words here, without excuse, without challenge. Now, of course, when someone gets old enough, they leave their home, establish their own home, get married. There's a difference in the way that they relate to their parents. They don't obey the same as when they were little children. But when they're is a child in the home, what is the expectation? What is the guidance from Scripture? Well, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. It's in all things. It's not a pick-and-choose kind of action. I can do this, but not do this. I think the most wonderful illustration for an obedient child is the Lord Jesus himself who you remember when he was in the temple and Mary and Joseph were looking for him and they finally found him and talked with him. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business were Jesus' words and his father was his father in heaven and he was rightly doing what his father wanted him to do. But the scripture says that following that interaction, Jesus went down with his parents, Joseph and Mary. Remember, he was born of a virgin, Mary, but Joseph was his legal father. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them. He continued in subjection. He continued to submit himself to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart, Luke says. Thomas Watson said this, he to whom Angels were subject, was subject to his parents. Think of that. Perfect example. Obedience. And Joseph and Mary weren't perfect, and Jesus was. And that sometimes is the objection. My parents aren't perfect. They do things that are wrong. That's not, the passage says, honor your father and mother. It doesn't say your good father, your good mother. Doesn't say you're obedient father, you're obedient mother. Obedience is just right. That's what Ephesians says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is what is righteous. This is what conforms to God's standard. This is what hits the mark. It's what God expects. It's what God blesses. And you find sometimes, don't you, objections objections in your own heart, children. Because of the imperfection that you see, it is always obey, it's always right to obey your parents unless they command you to do something that is disobedience to God. This Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is what brings God's pleasure. If they were to command you to do something that's displeasing to the Lord, well then, no, your parent can't command you to steal or to lie justly. And parents, we should never ask our children to do something for us that's contrary or to do something that's contrary to god's will or his word it undermines god's authority it undermines our own authority if we were to do that we have remarkable examples in scripture beyond christ who of children who obeyed their parents they honored their parents they obeyed their parents i think isaac is a wonderful example of obedience as in genesis 22 he's with his father they're going up to worship Isaac doesn't know. He's asking questions as to what's going on. When it finally gets to the place where Abraham says, I want you to get on the altar, what does Isaac do? You don't see him running away. You see him trustfully responding to his father's direction. And I don't know about you, if my dad had a knife in his hand and seemed like he was going to do something with it to harm me, i There'd have to be a strong, strong relationship of trust there and a willingness to obey. Isaac did. There's a statement there of Abraham's faith. There's also a statement there of Isaac's obedience. I want to ask you to turn over to Jeremiah 35. Jeremiah 35. There's a family in Israel that God gave as an object lesson to the nation. A family where the children were obeying their father, even into their adulthood. And based on the commands, the direction the father gave, you can see why, based on what, he's, what they say, why they were obeying him. They were submissive. This wasn't unreasonable. Unreasonable. I'm going to start in verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink. Then I took Jaazaniah the son of Jeremiah, son of Habazaniah, and his brothers and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, the man of God, which was near the chamber of the officials which was above the chamber of uh, Maaseah, the son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. Then I set before the men of the house of the Rechabites, pitchers full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. Okay, this is Jeremiah. He's got them all there. We know exactly where they are. Drink wine. But they said, verse 6, we will not drink wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall not drink wine, you or your sons, forever. You shall not build a house, and you shall not sow seed, and you shall not plant a vineyard or own one, but in tents you shall dwell all your days, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. We have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, <coughs> excuse me, and all that he commanded us, not to drink wine all our days. We, notice this, our wives. Our sons or our daughters. These are not teenagers. These are adults. These are men with wives, they have children, and they had taught their children as well. Look at verse nine nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, and we do not have vineyards or field or seed. We've only dwelt in tents and we have obeyed all and have done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. But when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against the land, we said, come and let us go to Jerusalem before the army of the Chaldeans and before the army of the Arameans. So we've dwelt in Jerusalem. Okay, That changed the circumstance. Foreign king on their doorstep, ready to attack. Yeah, we're going to go to a city. And they're there. And God draws attention to them as they had obeyed their father. Look at verse 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction by listening to my words? declares the Lord. The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are observed. So they do not drink wine to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. But I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not listened to me. In other words, here's an earthly father and his children obey him, but God is not getting obedience from his people. And he goes on to rebuke his people. But I want you to notice what he says regarding that house, the house of the Rechabites. Look at verse 18. Then Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab, your father kept all his commands and done according to all that he commanded you. Thus, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me always. Blessing that came to this family because they obeyed. How serious is it to disobey parents? How serious is it to say, I want to do my own thing. I don't want to listen to you. I want to do my own thing. That is sin, of course. It's disobedient to the commandment. A.W. Pink said, Sin is saying, I renounce the God who made me. I disallow his right to govern me. I care not what he says to me, what commandments he has given. I prefer self-indulgence to his approval. I'm indifferent to all he has done to and for me. His blessings and gifts move me not. I am going to be Lord of myself. When someone chooses that, chooses that course of action, how does God view that? Well, it's obviously disobedience to the commandment. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. This passage gives and details God's dealing with idolatry to give people over to their own lusts and desires, to do things against God, against their own bodies, against one another, as they in their wicked hearts imagine and do what they want to do. They reject God's word. Look at verse 28. It says, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, and God gave gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents? Right after slanderers, haters of God, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents? Yes. Verse 31, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. How serious is disobedience to parents? Well, God places that sin right in there with the rest of them. It is sin. God hates it. And that picture, all that mass of evil in that vice list there, That's evidence of a mind that's given over to not reason according to God's standards. To do all those things is to break God's commandments. To reject God's order for you, to say, I'm Lord of myself, is to disobey God. Realize this, Paul said in Second Timothy, that in the last days difficult times will come for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they've denied its power. Avoid such men as these. So this is a serious sin, disobedience, dishonoring. What is the positive instruction of God's word? Proverbs 23, 22. listen to your father who begot you. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Listen to counsel, Proverbs 19, 20, and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Proverbs 19:27 Cease listening my son to discipline and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Listening and then heeding, following, obeying. Turn back if you would to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19 What is honor? It is high esteem. It's to hold someone in regard. It includes obedience. It's not just obedience. That high regard is defined in Leviticus nineteen three as reverence, and that is a synonym we've seen before. Verse. 2 says, speak to all the sons of Israel, congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall reverence, and here the order is switched, shall reverence his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths, I am the Lord your God. Every one of you, every single person, shall reverence or fear his mother and his father. The word that's translated fear here is not just an emotional fear. The fear ascribes proper worth or reverence to a person as the object of my fear in my thoughts and my actions. uh, Matthew Henry said it includes inward reverence and esteem, outward expressions of respect, obedience to the lawful commands of parents, care and endeavor to please them and make them easy and to avoid everything that may offend and grieve them and incur their displeasure. Okay, The idea of fear, or we would use the term respect. Matthew Henry cited a rabbi who said, what is this fear that is owing to a father? He answered the question, it is not to stand in his way nor to sit in his place, nor to contradict what he says, nor to carp at it. Not to call him by his name, either living or dead, but my father or sir. It is to provide for him if he be poor and the like. Now, I'm not going to suggest that all of that, if you happen to sit in your dad's seat, is all the time dishonoring. But you can assume, certainly, things that don't belong to you, that do belong to your father or to your mother, you could assume that you could call them by things that you ought not because they are not your peer. Parents are parents, they're not peers. So to call them by their first name suggests a familiarity that's really not appropriate for a child. We, if we were to look at the scriptures and how Children properly honored their parents. I think we could find some examples, although it seems like there's a lot of examples to the contrary. But Joseph honored Jacob in Genesis 48 when Jacob came to Egypt. Joseph is second only to Pharaoh. Jacob came into Egypt with all his possessions and all the other sons, and when he got there and he was there and Joseph came and met him, the Bible says that Joseph bowed himself to his father as a sign of respect. Now, I'm not suggesting that children of this day, that's not our custom, but showing respect for parents. Solomon did it as king. Bathsheba came to him, was going to ask him a question. When she came, he rose, he stood in her presence. He bowed before her, and when he sat on his throne, he put her right next to him. He was taking care to show proper honor for his mother. And yes, there are gestures that we do as a means of respect. There are also words that we say or don't say. It's not the part of children to command their parents like Samson did when he said to his parents, I saw this woman, get her for me. And they objected based upon the teaching of Scripture, and and he said, I said, get her for me. And we see how that story unfolds, but the reality was, Samson dishonored his parents. It's the child's responsibility to receive direction, to receive instruction, to receive commands, not to give them. And of course, when children are young, they need commands. They don't need questions as much as they need direction, commands. They need direction to do sometimes what they don't fully understand. And as they grow older, of course, they need reasoning behind those commands. So they understand why they're doing what they're doing. But I want to just ask a question as we think about this matter of respect and fear Do you show respect for your parents? Not just when they're looking, but when they're not. We communicate, of course, by our body language as well as our facial expressions. Do you roll your eyes? Not just when they're looking, but when they're not. Do you mutter under your breath and contradict them? Do you directly challenge their authority? Proverbs 30 says The eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out, and the young eagles will eat it. Honor your father and your mother, reverence, respect your father and your mother. And that doesn't just go for young children or teenagers. And obviously what makes it hard is our parents aren't perfect people. But the Bible doesn't say, honor your perfect father and mother. It says, honor your father and your mother. And there are challenges at times, no doubt, for all of us. Thomas Watson said, in speaking of parents, children must speak honorably. They ought to speak well of them, if they deserve well. Proverbs thirty-one twenty-eight: her children rise up and call her blessed. And Watson said, in case a parent betrays weakness and indiscretion, the child should make the best of it and by wise apologies cover his parents' nakedness. Now that's an allusion, isn't it, to a biblical story where a son came into a tent and saw his father drunk and exposed? And what did he do? He didn't cover it. Instead, he went out and he told his brothers and he laughed at it. And there was a curse that followed that from Noah to Canaan. Honor your father and your mother. Now there's one more thing that I think we'd have to say honor includes in the scriptures and it has to do with recompense. Recompense. A return of care for what has been given. You can see this in the life of Joseph as Jacob came to Egypt and Joseph took care of Jacob. You can see that in Genesis 46 and 47. You can see that based upon the principle of a birthright in Scripture where the oldest child was given double an inheritance or a double portion so that he could then care for the parents. What the parents gave to the children, there was to be a return for that, but it was given to the children. That return is expected by God in this word honor. Turn over, if you would, to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. There was a practice in Israel during the time of the New Testament that Jesus confronted. Verse 9 Scripture says, he was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. That's the idea of cursing them. Verse 11, but if you say, a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban, that is to say, given to God you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you have handed down, and you do many such things as that. Okay, now what's the the detail here that helps us understand? Well, the idea of korban, or given to God, is that someone could come to the point where they said, my whole life and all my possessions is given to God. And in doing that, they were basically getting out of any responsibility to use their wealth to minister to their parents in a time of need. And when a person was to do that, if they came back and said, I made that vow, but I do need to take my uh, care of my parents these that he's talking to would say, no, you can't go back on your vow. That wealth is given to God, and they presumably were some of the recipients of that wealth to then do with it what they wanted to do. But the point underlying here is that there is an expectation that someone would minister return to the parents for what the parents had done for them. Paul said in 1 Timothy, in the context of caring for widows, he said, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so, care for parents, return for the love and the care that was given to you when you could not care for yourself, yes, yes. And I just want to commend, I have seen several families in our church, and I've talked with some of you, and I've observed, and I've seen you taking care of your parents in their old age. That is the right thing to do. It is the right thing to honor them, sometimes just by your presence, by going to see them, spending time with them, but beyond that, helping them, particularly if they have a circumstance in which they need help. And sometimes they need someone to take care of them kind of like you needed to be taken care of. I mean, who took care of you when you couldn't take care of yourself? Who changed your diapers? Who gave you a bath? Who fed you, clothed you, gave you a place to live? How often did your parents stay up late or rise up early when they were taking care of you? Who made your lunches for school? Who took you to school? Maybe you rode the bus. But doesn't it make sense that there would be some kind of return for those things? That there would be a response on the part of the child honoring parents means in part giving care for them when they cared for me. John Bunyan wrote a poem. I've read this before some time ago, but I'm going to read it again. It's called the Upon the Disobedient Child. Children become, while little, our delights. When they grow bigger, they begin to frights. Their sinful nature prompts them to rebel and to delight in paths that lead to hell. Their parents' love and care they overtook as if relation had them quite forsook. They take the counsel of the wantons, rather, than the most grave instructions of a father. They reckon parents ought to do for them, though they, the fifth commandment, do contemn, or they look down upon it. They snap and snarl if parents them control, though but in things most hurtful to the soul. They reckon they are masters, and that we who parents are should to them subject be. If parents fain would have a hand in choosing, the children would have a heart will in refusing. They'll by wrongdoings under parents gather and say it's no sin to rob a father. They'll jostle parents out of place and power. They'll make themselves the head and them devour. How many children by becoming head have brought their parents to a piece of bread? Thus they who were at the first their parents' joy turn that to bitterness and themselves destroy. But wretched child, how canst thou thus requite or repay thy aged parents for that great delight they took in thee when thou as helpless lay, in their indulgence bosoms day by day, thy mother, long before she brought thee forth, took care that thou shouldst want neither food nor cloth. Thy father glad was at his very heart, had he to thee a portion to impart. Comfort they promise themselves in thee, but thou, it seems to them, a grief will be. How oft, how willingly break they their sleep, if thou, their child, didst but winch and weep. Their love to thee was such as they could have given, that thou mightest live, almost their part of heaven. But now behold how they rewarded are, for their indulgent love and tender care. All is forgot, this love he doth despise. They brought this bird up to pick out their eyes. That's so sobering, isn't it? Lord, help us to honor our parents. What's the promise? That your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Life, long life. Restated in another place, the idea is that it may be well with you. And so the proverb follows that up with, My son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them about your neck. Write them upon the table of your heart. You follow the teaching of your parents. You obey your parents. You honor your parents. You return to your parents what they gave to you. God promises a blessing with that. And if you receive their teaching, what does the proverb say? It's like a graceful garland on your head. It's like ornaments on your neck. It's like a beautiful necklace. It's just fitting and right for children to honor their parents. Praise the Lord, we have a Savior who died to pay the price for our sins for how many times we've disobeyed this commandment. And if you're like me, if we just reflect on our lives, so you reflect on your life and how much you disobeyed your mom and dad or dishonored them, or maybe still do, I'm so thankful Jesus died for me. I'm so thankful that he gave himself to pay the debt of my sins. I have certainly broken that commandment. So have you. If he's given you forgiveness, thank the Lord for the gospel. May the Lord help us to live in light of the truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bow in your presence. We are thankful, Lord Jesus, that you perfectly obeyed this commandment. You continued in subject, subjection to Mary and Joseph. You gave us an example to follow. Lord, we pray that we might obey your word. And insofar as we've disobeyed, thank you for the forgiveness. And maybe there's someone today who needs to seek your forgiveness for their sin against you. Lord, would you open our eyes to see where we have sinned against you in this way. And grant to us grace, Lord, that we might live in the light of the truth. Some of us have parents who don't know you. Some of us may have parents that did not live a life before us that was respectable. And it makes us challenged to want to honor, but you've said honor. In some cases, Lord, you've taken parents out into eternity. And while we cannot honor them, there are times where we certainly can honor the memory of them. Give us grace. Help us to apply this word we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to number 731. Let's stand together and sing. 731. Oh give us homes built firm upon the Savior, where Christ is head and counselor and guide. Oh give us homes built firm upon